Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dear Asian Americans. Thank you for tuning in to us, whether it is your first time with us or you are on uh, 156 with us, which has been a long journey. Uh, as you know, we started this podcast in March of 2020, just before the pandemic, and it has been truly an honor to share with you uh, the diverse array of Asian American stories. Uh, my name is Jerry Wan, your founder and host of the show. And uh, thank you so much for spending your time with us today. Uh, today, I am so glad to invite back my dear friend, Eric Toda, on the show. Uh, it is your second time listening to this, but as you, as you will soon find out, it is our third recording. Um, I goofed up and, and we lost a second recording. Um, a little bit of a technology goof, but uh, really glad to have Eric back. Um, Eric is one of the most involved uh, members of our community, uh, really leveraging his voice and his platform and his privilege uh, to make sure that we are advocating for our community and elevating our voices um, all the way from his day job at Meta or Facebook and Instagram, all the way to him being on the advisory board of the uh, the upcoming, hopefully uh, real and uh, so a place we can visit, the Smithsonian uh, Asian Pacific American Museum uh, that the uh, the president, uh, President Biden, just signed the uh, the commission to uh, to uh, the commission to study for rather. And so uh, really, really excited to share with you. Uh, our, our story here as we revisit some of the work that he's been doing recently with Launch, with TAF, with SWA, and with the museum, um, all on top of his day job again at, at Meta, um, also him being a father just like I am. And so, you know, if you want to take a listen to uh, Eric's initial episode, you can jump back onto episode 122. You'll get a little bit of better understanding of his uh, upbringing uh, and how he is uh, raising uh, multi uh, racial children in our country. Uh, that was done in July of last year. And so you'll hear a little bit of a different perspective of 11 months later after the fact. Uh, this is episode number six of our series with our dear friends at Stand with Asian Americans. And so thank you so much to Justin, to Brian, to Wendy, to Diana, and the rest of our friends at SWA uh, for making this series possible. And uh, thank you so much as, as we enter um, uh the midpoint of the year this weekend. I'm um, just hoping that you have uh, continued to take care of yourselves and to uh, uh, taking care of each other. Um, I'm recording this just the night before you're listening to it and um, with the Supreme Court news that continues to come out that um, worries so much of us and uh, hopefully is motivating us to get involved and to get active in uh, ways that we have not before politically and socially. I hope that you're taking care of yourself. Uh, thanks again, as we always. Uh, say on this show uh, for tuning in. And without further ado, here now is my conversation with Eric Toda. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Dears and Americans. You are listening to my third episode with Eric Toda. And you're probably wondering, no, this is a second. But we did record a second, and I goofed, and I lost the tape. And so we are talking for the third time. It was such a good time. one, though. It was such a good one. It was good. And one person listened to it, at least. So it was not a waste. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> One person listened to us, but that's all that matters. Uh, welcome back to the show, man. How are things with you? Things are good. Thanks for having me again. Um, thanks for your listeners for continuing to support me and the Smithsonian and Meta Prosper. And, you know, I, I can't ask for more than that. So I, I think things are good. Things are moving. We just got to keep the conversation alive. All right. Let's set the table. Um, people may know you because you are pretty active on social media. You're very active on LinkedIn, where I am as well. Mm -hmm. um, you do a lot of interviews and you represent a lot of different organizations. Uh, let's start with the day job. What is the day job before we talk about all the wonderful community things that you get involved with? 
Absolutely. I mean, it's kind of the core of all this. It's um, I'm uh, I'm a marketer, a marketing executive at Meta, uh, previously known as Facebook, and my entire career is marketing. I've been a marketer for almost twenty years now. Uh, worked at great companies like uh, Nike, Snapchat, Airbnb, Gap Inc., um, Stitch Fix, and now I'm back at at Meta. Uh, for my second time around, you know, running running a digital marketing practice for them, and it's been amazing. I, I think it's 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 absolutely been amazing. But it also gave me a platform to call out the industry that I represent, the marketing and advertising industry, for not doing enough to support the Asian American community. And that's how this all started. That's literally how this all started, and it was received with open arms from the industry. It was received with open arms from our community. And I continue to represent at least the business world when it comes to what we do, Jerry. And that's continue to fight for uh, our community. Uh, Before we talk about your community involvement engagement, which is super, super awesome. um, We, many of you or many folks have learned about you and and first heard your thoughts uh, in the Adweek piece that you published on February Mm -hmm. 11th of last year. Uh, pre-Atlanta, but still in the thick of a lot of ugliness uh, in our community. Um, that can't be the first time that you sort of came into your identity, obviously. But when did you realize that it was okay to be Asian at work and and, and to stay loud about it? Um, I would say 12 years into my career. It took 12 years in, into my career. And so that was Airbnb. Um, that was the first place that I really embraced being Asian, um, Asian American, telling my story. And the reason is, is because I worked for an incredible CMO um, named Jonathan Mildenhall, who um, is incredibly diverse. He's black and white and and Jewish and Catholic, and he's he's gay, and he embraces every single difference in every single person. And if you try to suppress that, because you don't, you feel like you can't be yourself. He will literally pull it out of you, and so he pulled it out of me, uh, so that I should tell my story. I should fight for what I think is the right thing to do, and that was the first time I was like, you know what? I'm not just a marketer um, for Airbnb. I'm also one of the only Asian American leaders at a- at at Airbnb, and I need to grow into that. And I need to realize that I don't just speak for what I do as a, as, as an output, but I speak for who I am as an output as well. And I think that's a realization that many of us have, and uh, many of you may have, hopefully, uh, that we can't separate our identity from work. And at some point, it behooves everybody and particularly uh, helps you, at least it's, it's helped me quite a bit, obviously. Uh, for those of you know who know my career path, I had to leave the, the system uh, to feel like I can do what I do. But um, Eric, you, you found a pretty cool space where you work for organizations or that you do now uh, that fully support you in that role. And um, even to the effect that, uh, and we'll talk about it more, but you know, you've taken on a new job title and really leveraging mm-hmm. uh, the meta empire, if you will, or the family of brands um, to help leverage that to help our community members, uh, particularly as they build their own small businesses. Um you have had quite a busy May. Uh, we're talking here right in the middle of June. Um, yep. I don't even know all the stuff that you do, but uh, you are on the board of launch. You are on the uh, 
the advice uh, the um of, of the Asian American Foundation as well involved with that organization. You sit on the board of the uh, the Smithsonian Asian American Museum Initiative. That's mm-hmm. probably not mm-hmm. the official name, but uh, we'll, we'll we'll get that. <laughs> Close um, enough, Max. Close enough. How did you find your way into those organizations and rooms? Um, you know, you were very proud to share this publicly, and, and I am so proud of you as well. Um, you were mentioned in Politico, like, and that's a big deal because, uh, you know, people in business like us, like, that's a very different world that we live in. Um, yep. and, and more meaningfully so, it is particularly under the lens of being involved in the museum movement. And so I, I rattled off three things that you're involved with. Is what what is is that everything? Is in um, <laughs> um no, but that's okay. Um, I mean, I'll I'll start off like this. Like before, I, I I did all this for the community. I always had this mantra of waste no minutes. And what waste no minutes really was for me was how do I not just do my day job, but how do I participate in the community of, of business and marketing and advertising to mentor, um, to bring more brands along, to advise brands, et cetera. And that just became a part of my DNA. And a lot of people ask me then, how do I do everything? How do I do everything? How do I have a good day job, be successful, but also mentor these, these new marketers, these up and coming business people? How do I go to UC Berkeley and Stanford and guest lecture about marketing. And it's because to me is you're only given a finite amount of minutes, just like you're only given a finite amount of energy. And I found myself before doing all that, I was wasting a lot of that. I was doing nonsense and feeling bored. And and so I wanted to do more. And so that's why when I came into this new lens where I wanted to support our community in a time of need and in perpetuity, I wanted to waste no minutes there too. And so luckily for me, um, I found myself on the board of the Smithsonian Asian Pacific American Center where we are working on actively making sure that there is a permanent gallery um, so that people can see what a permanent museum would look like, much like the, the National African American Museum of History and Culture, um, but also so that we can have a place in America's history, which we don't currently. And I think that's absolutely wrong because the way I grew up, we were not in our history books. And so that's really why I joined the Smithsonian is to change the history books that my kids are going to read, that your kids are going to read, that my grandkids are going to read, that I didn't get to read. And therefore, because of that, I felt different like an other. And I was treated like that. I found myself on the leading Asian Americans to Unite for Change board because I believe in good data. I believe in good data to influence legislators, to influence um, politicians, to influence corporations, to do better. You know, I found myself on the advisory board of TAF um, because, because I believe that there is and should be a consolidation of efforts under one under one forceful umbrella to make good change for us, like the ADL and the NAACP. Um, but again, those are all alongside what I do and who I am. Um, I also invest in a lot of Asian American founders um, because I believe they deserve just as much of a chance as, as everybody else does. Um, and so I try to waste no minutes, man. I try to waste no minutes for us because eventually I'm not going to have many minutes left. I'm not going to have a lot of energy left. And I just hope when I look back on it, I spent them all super wisely and impactfully. That's a lot. Um, and, and, you know, <laughs> you and I, I mean, you you and I connected um, over that work and, and between our mutual friends. Um, and, 
you know, our, our collective identity also as Asian American dads and uh, mm-hmm. thinking about what world we want to leave for them, um, aside from obviously the comforts that our, our, our professional success brings us um, and, and really creating a, a safe world for them. Um, let, let's talk about some of the work. I, I want to, you know, touch upon sort of three buckets. You're, you're very involved with um, Leading Asian Americans United for Change, which is Launch, um, yep. who commissioned a report for the second year in a row called Status, which is the uh, social tracking of Asian Americans um, in the United States. So there's a lot of acronyms and puns. So follow along. <laughs> yes. uh, it's launch yes. with two A's and status with two A's because double A for Asian American. Um, and so let, let's talk about that. We we ran the study last year, um, mm-hmm. and there were some you know deeply concerning numbers um, in terms of our visibility. Um, and so I, I guess to give us a little context, this survey is done across a swath of Americans, broadly speaking, that includes Asian Americans. Uh, this year, the number of adults surveyed was north of 5,000. So collectively speaking, and it was done with a survey company that can you know, account for a lot of these biases. And so uh, they do reflect what they believe to be the representation of what many Americans think. Um, what, what stuck out to you as, as a positive first, let's say? about some of the things that we can take away from that gives us hope and optimism? I think, uh, I mean, the positives that that we've seen from this survey, especially in contrast to last year, many of you listening would probably remember this, is there was this stat last year that majority of Americans cannot name an Asian Ameri- a prominent Asian American in culture today. Um, and when they did, they said Bruce Lee, um, who's, you know, uh, you know, not with us anymore, or they say Jackie Chan, who's not Asian American. Um, and that was an issue, right? And so, you know, as we ran the study again, the biggest question to us is, is would that number change? But also what in- insights will we find? And I think one of the biggest things that we found is that they're encouragingly, um, if you break out who we surveyed, the next generation after millennials, Gen Z, continues to stand out as champions of the Asian American identity and as important allies for the API community. I think overall, just as a marketer and as a businessman, Gen Z is incredibly active when it comes to purpose, when it comes to values, and, and when it comes to activism, uh, more so than millennials, more so uh, than Gen X. Um, and so it, this does run in line with that. You know, 38% of respondents between ages 18 and 24 view race relations in the United States getting worse, while only 25% see that as improving. You know, overall, two-thirds of white respondents view Asian Americans as more similar to Caucasians. So that tells us right there, for Gen Z, that tells us right there that there is work to do, that there is work to do. And luckily for us, um, Gen Z are active advocates. You know, overwhelmingly, those respondents would like to see greater representation and better understanding of Asian American history and experience. So they're hungry for this stuff. And so I would say that's the good news. The good news is the future is very bright, um, which makes me hopeful for my kids, for your kids, um, because it would be unsettling to me if those numbers did not show up. If they're just like, no, it's not a problem or no, it's not an issue, but they know it's an issue and they're all figuring out how. And I do think, again, that's very in line with market research that we've seen on the business side of who is the next consumer to come into power. And it's them. And and how does how does these numbers help? Right. So there are some unfortunate ones like, you know, when, when we talk about even the notion of like the number one person mentioned is Bruce Lee, like. 
the bigger number is people who said, I don't know, or I can't name one, which is really sad, considering our vice president is one. We have multiple gold medal winners. Perhaps the most famous golfer of all time is Asian American. Um, but what do we do with these numbers, right? Because I think the investment in these studies is the first step. We need objective information to point that, to say, sure. hey, we need something needs to be done. Um, but in your opinion and your perspective from where you sit, like what is a practical thing that is a potential result of uh, studies like this? I think one of the biggest things that I think about is in the business world, right? It's how do we then use these numbers to get better training on understanding the nuances of the Asian American community? I think that just doesn't exist in many places. If you think about what uh, diversity training looks like um, in, in a workplace, it typically is only a binary black and white relationship that they talk about. They don't. They barely talk about Latinx. I could tell you that right now. And they definitely don't talk about Asian Americans. And so when you see numbers like this, you start to ask, okay, there's certainly a early education point of view of how do we make sure our children and teenagers and adolescents are taught better, his, like the actual history, um, but also the nuances of those history. But obviously, people like me and you, we we are we've been out of school for a long time. However, people like me and you more me than you, uh, because you run your own business now, Jerry. Um, I have to, I, I get to take trainings. I get to continue my education. And through that, through my HR department, through my diversity departments, through my people departments, it's their responsibility to augment and and evolve those trainings to represent these numbers. Oh, you can't name a prominent Asian American. That's an issue. Oh, you don't think that Asian, like people, uh, are not attacking Asian Americans. That's a problem. Or you can't tell me, um, you can't tell me why 71% of Asian American respondents for this survey say that discriminated, discriminated against where 30% of that is happening in the workplace. That's a problem. So it's how do you continue the education versus making it so mandatory where you're just like, well, you got to take this thing, man. Like you got to take this thing and like, we got to check it off the box. We need to open people's minds and this continuing education in corporate America needs to happen. Agreed. Um, I think oftentimes when we share our stories, um, we get gaslit uh, directly to indirectly across the across the spectrum to say, "Well, that's your experience," but we believe that you know people don't face discrimination, and you know, and, and I think that's that's what data does, right? Like data silences the gaslighting because. Analytics is greater than anecdotes, and, and that's yeah. you know, a powerful tool that we can go to businesses, to government, to say, "Hey, this is a credible piece of information." Um, and you know, so Launch is doing great data work. You know, we've had our friend Neil Ruiz on the show, and Pew is doing great data work. Great, data and work. you know, great a lot of this is being funded uh, by the next thing that I want to talk to you about, which is TAF. Right, like uh -huh. uh, TAF has become a overnight household name within the community that has really been uh, become uh, the financial foundation in a way to support a lot of the work that has already been done, but that's also uh, starting new conversations on what is possible when we put our brains and our hands and our resources together to say, hey, let's let's build a you know a powerful uh, you know machine that can actually you know um, move bigger challenges that is is really hard to do when we're still in very, very much silos. And so for, for folks that may not be so familiar, um, what is TAF, uh, the Asian American Foundation? 
Um, how did it form, and, and what is what is the ultimate goal of the organization? I mean, TAF, TAF was founded last year, uh, launched last year, um, and it is like you said, it is it is one of it is the it is meant to be the consolidator, con- connector, incubator uh, for the Asian American community, much like. And we've heard this for so many years, you know, when we saw things happen against our community. I wish there was an NAACP for Asian Americans. I wish there was an ADL uh, for uh, for Asian Americans. And for those of you who don't know, the NAACP is that organization for the black community. Um, the ADL is that organization for the Jewish community. And the ADL and NAACP had a hand in creating TAF, the Asian American Foundation, in the hopes that TAF would become that for our community. And I think we're well on our way. I think you can't you can't have something happen without TAF being behind it or having a hand in it or having a fingerprint or a dollar sign next to it. And I think that's that's going to build on itself. And what we're really meant to do is is to be that connector for the community. It it is to work with all the other different and separate um, Asian American nonprofits who have traditionally been underfunded, like generationally underfunded to make sure they are no longer underfunded. And so um, I, I, again, I, I think we're doing great work. We're just getting started. Uh, it was started by uh, Jerry Yang and Joe Tsai, obviously incredible businessmen. It's, and that have a vision um, of becoming, you know, what, what we need to become for the Asian American community. You know, when we hear, when the average person, uh, somebody who is not as involved in the community as you and me and our friends um, who don't have uh, friends like each other or other people that we can text to say like, hey, like, you know, something, it is so still ridiculously, ridiculous of me to even say to you like, hey, I'll see you at DC or, you know, like the, these things that like we're, we're so lucky and privileged to be a part of there, there sure. is, there are questions of, you know, how does this impact me, the average Asian American, when I'm not feeling safe and when I, you know, I feel like there's a lot of still fear in the community or uh, a lack of economic opportunity as, you know, the, the tone of the economy changes. Um, and, and the work of organizations like TAF, uh, as they're designed to do, uh, works at much more macro levels. Um, but what are some of the impacts that can be positively felt uh, from the work that TAF has done? Um, you know, for somebody who might be listening that uh, isn't involved in the community as much, isn't uh, engaged yet politically or socially or from a justice perspective that uh, you and I have been fortunate enough to be in the last couple of years of our lives. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the first and foremost, I, I, I think you mentioned safety, right? TAF has four different pillars. The first pillar being anti-hate and, and belonging. So how do you create national action centers that can provide safety resources to people on the ground that are that that are victims of, of these hate crimes? Um, they, TAF has created an Asian American Pacific Islander Emergency Relief Fund you know, to support these victims so that they don't have to come out of pocket, so that they can they they know that they're supported by this organization as they are victims. Um, so that's, I mean, that's the, the first and foremost, right? Especially in this moment of violence for us is that we are creating the support system for you in the event that you are attacked, in the event that you are a target, um, legal legal defense, all that stuff, right? Um, 
the second part is education. And I, I referenced it before, but how do we change the narrative at the earliest stages? I think a lot of what we're seeing today certainly is mental health, but a lot of it is too just a lack of empathy, a lack of em- empathy and understanding. And I say this because I say this because um, many people who blame COVID or blame the origins of COVID continue to blame Asian Americans for COVID because of the rhetoric that's happening right now. But what they don't connect is the rhetoric is blaming is blaming a country and not a people who are who are here, right? Asian Americans continue to get attacked and blamed when the rhetoric is about China. Um, so I think it's about education. It's about making sure um, we are influencing the federal K through 12 system, uh, which we are. And, and again, that leads into narrative change, which is the third pillar for, for TAF is how do you continue to not just, I don't know, amplify the really, really tough things to read and see uh, on a daily basis, but how do you show people who have impacted this country, you know, Asian Americans are deeply rooted in the history of the United States and have contributed significantly to the economy, uh, contributed significantly to the medical field, the technology field, et cetera. How do you tell those stories so that people gain a better perspective and empathy about our community? And the last part, like we just talked about, is better data and research that, you know, goes to, um, Pull, you know, to the police, to the FBI, et cetera, so that they could deploy better resources on the ground. You know, if every single anti-Asian attack is considered a mental health crisis versus a hate crime, what are they going to deploy? If it's if it's that they're going to deploy better people to serve mental health, right? But if it's if you're able to delineate between a hate crime and mental health, then you're able to say, okay, great, maybe we need more police, maybe we need more resources on the ground to protect these people. So again, those four pillars for us are so important because they build the, on the larger roadmap that we want to accomplish, you know, to support the community. That's awesome. Uh, one of the things that is the the theme of our conversation and the work that you do is visibility, storytelling, and legacy. And all those themes tie into, uh, I think, which is the most uh, important and meaningful of, of the things that you're doing from my personal perspective is making sure that we have a permanent place to showcase our artwork, our history, and our future together. And and so um, many folks have probably heard in the last couple of weeks about President Biden, Biden signing a bill um, that doesn't necessarily create the museum, um, but it creates the commission to study the possibility and, and the feasibility of, of that museum. Um, how did you get involved with that project and why did you do it and why, why do you remain optimistic that it will actually happen? Yeah, I mean... Um... It was the same time I joined TAF. Everything happened really, really all at once. Um, I get a phone call from the vice president of the board of the Smithsonian Asian Pacific American Center, and her name's Debbie Schoen, um, iconic, iconic Korean American. I think I, I believe her grand her grandpa was on the USA Olympic track and field uh, team. She worked for the Clinton administration. Um, she comes calling and she's like. We are getting younger. You represent a different voice. You're from the business world. You're a businessman. You know how to do things differently. We're a lot of us are policy people. Help us. Help us and join the board and you know, help us re-navigate the journey to getting a permanent place on the National Mall, like the like the uh, Museum of the uh, American Latino, which is happening over the next 10 years the National Museum for Women, which is happening in the next 10 years. Obviously, the National Museum of African-American History and Culture, which 
was shepherded in by Clinton, Bush, Obama, um, that that we need our own. And so I joined that cause. Uh, I'm on the board of the Smithsonian Asian American Asian Pacific American Center. Uh, I'm the chair of the communications uh, because I like to talk a lot. Um, but uh, but it's a good it's a good project. It's probably something that I think at the end of my life. Um, I'll look back on it and say that's probably one of the best things I did because it 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 will put in cement everything that we're talking about. Every single thing we're talking about. My grandkids will see it, your grandkids will see it, and they'll say, We are American. Because again, like I I think at the end of the day, if all of these things come to light, everything I just talked about, everything that I'm doing, everything that you're doing, Jerry, um I think if we're if you and I are successful, which I know we will be, when people hear the word American and close their eyes, they'll see us. They'll see our kids. And that's the end outcome. That's literally it. If that, if that happens, then I I could die a happy man. That means I did exactly what I needed to do. Yeah, I mean that's you know, um that's the goal. Um our goal is for this conversation to not be as important in 10 years. In, yes. in 20 years. Yes. Um, I, I want my kids to be like, what was the big deal, man? Like, exactly. Why, why, why'd you do that? Isn't it normal <laughs> that we have a museum for us? Isn't it normal that we learn about us in public schools? Isn't like, what it normal? Like, like yeah, like, like I, w- I want them to say like, oh, what an outdated way of thinking. Right. Like, why was it such a big deal? Like, why did yeah. you quit your job in the corporate world to do this for a living, dad? Like, I, I, I genuinely want them to question me. And, and the only way that we can get there, though, is for us to stay even louder than we actually are now so that we normalize these things because there's still a lot of pushback against what we want to do, what we want, to, you know, what we should be and what we will actually end up doing, which is to create a home and, and a normalcy around our storytelling. Um, and, you know, that, that pushback is, you know, obviously from uh, people both outside and inside the community. Um, and, and so that makes our, our work a little challenging. What um I am really, really uh, energized by is there have been so many new, uh, I don't want to say radicalized in an extreme way, but people who actually are putting their time, energy, uh, networks, and their resources into joining something, right? Yeah, and, and I think yeah. that's the beauty of our community too, is that we're not a monolith that, you know, we're not all going to have to fight for the same causes, but, you know, like... You know, we're working with Justin and his team at Stand, Stand with Asian Americans on these conversations around like, what do we do now? Right. And yeah. and there is a justice piece. There is a economic empowerment piece. There is a storytelling piece. There is a political, you know, backing political candidates piece. There is, like you said, investing in Asian American founders because none of these things are independent. All these things have to work in concert organically and wonderfully so that we can amplify each other and elevate each other in all facets of life. And and that's where I think a lot of people are finally starting to realize, even myself, that when we think about the word activism and we think about, you know, getting involved in the community, you can do that right where you are. And if that yeah. means you're, you're, you're going to school, like create events, start organizations, ask for support and money to do these things. Same thing if you work in a large organization where there is no Asian ERG or you don't have programming that's specific to our community, ask for that, right? And um, and every chance you get, you know, um, where do you spend your money, right? Like where do you host events for your company? 
You know, yeah. are we being mindful of how we keep the money within the community and reinvesting it? It there, there's so many things, and um, I know the last couple of years have been so challenging for us, but I don't think we are together or as loud or as organized or as active as a community had it not been for the last two years, and 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 not because of that, but it's you know, um, call it the silver lining or, you know, it's, it's the darkest before the brightest of days. Like it is, um, that, that's what keeps me optimistic about the work that you do, that the work that we all do collectively. Um, um, well, I mean, I, I like to think about it like it was a moment that caused the movement. Right. And, you know, I, I think everything that you listed out, absolutely right. Like it, I think people are getting activated. I think people are waking up to, embracing their identity, embracing their ethnicity, when for so many generations we were told to suppress it. Um, But even to the point where I want people in daily conversations to correct people when they have a misunderstanding about us, when when they ask questions or when they assume things or when um, when they need an education of your experience. Because those interactions every single day collectively create the movement because what you're creating is a ripple effect. And the more people that we can encourage to have that conversation, to speak up and because I can tell you right now, it's like before, I don't know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, if someone would be like, oh, Eric, well, you're Chinese, right? I'd be like, uh, and I just don't say anything, right? Or I just say yes, because it's the easiest thing to do. No, I'm like, no, 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 I'm Filipino and Japanese. Oh, really? I know you're Filipino, man. Yeah, yeah, I'm Filipino. My mom's from Manila. My dad's from California, fifth generation. Fifth generation, that's crazy. I was like, oh, yeah, pre-gold rush. We were in the tournament camps. In tournament camps, what? And you can see how that can unfold into greater education, a greater perspective, and greater empathy because that's what we need. And I can tell you right now, the only way I learned how to do that is from my black friends. My black friends showed me that I can do that because they do that every single day. They open the doors for us every single day. And I know right now there's a lot of rhetoric. I know that now there's a lot of things pointing that right now there's a lot of black and Asian tension. And sure, we could see that right now. But there's so also so much good that's happening between the black and Asian community. So much good that needs to be told. And I think if there's, if there's one thing I want to make sure I say, it's that, that you don't see this voice today. You don't have Eric Tota's voice today without the black and Latinx community. That I guarantee you. I can say the same thing for myself, man. I, I think it's, um, for me, it was being humbled when I started actually having real life black friends, realizing that a yeah. lot of the things that I was taught to think about that community was founded upon non-actual friendships and relationships. Um, and to see what the support was like when we were going through stuff um, uh-huh. and to finally realize through learning and storytelling that there's so much that brings us together and there's so much that is shared in the way out, right? Like, And, and I think that's what a lot of people don't realize that um, a lot of the things that we face in this country are because of systemic things and there are very few laws that bring down specific groups of people. They bring down large swaths of people. Um, and, and so we are brought down together and then we were taught to blame it on each other and 
and, and who wins in that regard. And more optimistically, when we unite our hands and our voices and show up in rooms together, who gets scared? Because that wasn't part of the plan. The part of the plan was to keep us apart and, you know, sequestered. And, um, you know, our, our kids will look different. Our kids will be even more mixed race and the identities will blend even more together. And we can no longer say this is yours and this is mine um, because that doesn't make any sense. And and so all the work that you're doing, and I think especially from a position and a, and, and a place that is so visible, Eric, um, uh, I know you get this a lot, but you know, it's, you're doing a lot. Um, and so number one, thank you. And two, um, you know, pace yourself. And, uh, you know, I know from having the privilege of being your personal friend that, you know, you bike on the weekends and you spend plenty of time with your family. And, and that, you know, warms all of our hearts and to, to see all that happening while you're working your butt off. Um, but, you know, I really want other people who have as much uh, privilege, but also a big of a megaphone as you do to finally start to use that for ourselves. Um, because one, once you're there, um, you've have enough personal gain, you're doing okay. And, you know, we're all, we can all say that to a degree, right? And so then how are you going to make it easier for a younger version of you? Um, especially at a time because there is a collective, um, spotlight on all Asian Americans, from, for a lot of different reasons, people are expecting you to behave in a way that they can then use either in a good example or a bad example to push other agendas, right? And so if you're a very prominent Asian American who is not advocating for our community right now in this moment, when one, it is so necessary and two, it is so freaking easy because there's so much happening, that speaks volumes. And, and they will point to you and saying, well, if that person's not doing anything, do Asian Americans really have a problem in this country? And no longer can the excuse of, well, I got, I don't have any problems because I live behind the gate and my kids go to a private school and, you know, I don't have those problems. Well, racism doesn't care where you live. Racism doesn't care where you went to school. And racism certainly doesn't care how much money you have in the bank. And, and so um, my, my ask to all of you is to listen to Eric's story, uh, do more research on the organizations that he's involved with. And there are dozens of other amazing, worthy organizations that deserve your support, not just financially, but, you know, across the board in terms of your time and your energy and just uh, amplifying awareness of what they're doing um, and to use our collective voices. I mean, you know, he works at Meta. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. You use WhatsApp to communicate. These are a daily part of our lives. And, um, you know, it's, it's really also awesome that uh, for, for as long as we have felt uh, many of us, that we have to be our work selves, which generally meant not identity-based, and then our community selves where we feel like we can be ourselves, that we have that code switch, um, that you found, Eric, this opportunity through MetaProsper to sort of combine those two things mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. like be completely okay and all, almost thrive being the Asian guy at Meta because that gives you an opportunity to uplift all of us and, and not to, you know, play into these stereotype roles of the hard worker or, or the quiet person or, you know, all, all that stuff. And so um, as, as we wrap, man, like what I, I know we, we've talked about the optimism piece, right? But like, sure. what is a practical uh, three year thing that can happen from all of your work that you're doing now that would make it worthwhile? 
that you not, not only worthwhile, I, I don't want to put it that way, that would continue to keep the motivation to continue to do the work because this stuff can get extremely exhausting because it the is. results yeah, are not yeah, overnight. Yeah. You know, I it's hard it's hard for me to say what uh, three years looks like into the future, Jerry. And this is like one of the first, like this is one of the first times in my career where I, I literally can't tell you, mostly because it's changing. Again, last year when we spoke on this podcast, if you were to tell both of us that we would be at the White House <laughs> celebrating your birthday, uh, I would say you're crazy. But there we were. There we were across the street from the White House and at the White House <laughs> celebrating. Um, so I can't tell you what three years looks like. I could tell you though, the one thing that keeps me going all the time, and you get this all the time. I get this all the time. Someone finds your email, someone finds your phone number, someone finds your LinkedIn DM and they send a note saying, just thank you because I never thought that I would see someone that looks like me say the things that you do. And I always wanted to say those things. And now I can because of you. That happens a lot, but that tells you that you're still making a difference, even if it's just one person, because that one person is then going to speak up and then they're going to change lives. And I think collectively at the, uh, in three years, the more that we see that, the more we'll realize that we actually are creating more than just one ripple. We're creating multiple and those ripples will echo forever, man. And, and again, like that's, that's all I, that's all I can ask for. That's all I can ask for. Again, the other stuff I'm involved with, policy, all that stuff, you know, that, that stuff takes a long time. Uh, Meta Prosper, Meta Prosper, you know, we'll continue to grow. We'll continue to support creators, small businesses, nonprofits, because it is the Asian American initiative from the most important media company in the entire world. And we're going to continue to do that because it's the right thing to do. Um, so again, like, for me, for you, I know how much it means to you when, when someone reaches out. Um, I know how much it means to me when someone reaches out. That's all I look at as, as far as like, am I doing the right thing is, is those messages. So I, I appreciate all of them. I, I appreciate all of that because God knows I wished I had that when I was growing up. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny. Um, you know, we talk about impact and legacy a lot, especially um, entrepreneurs who start stuff. Um, and, and, and I mean this when I say this, and I hope this doesn't come off, um, in any other way than, than I want it to come off as, which is like, I don't want to be the guy that's known as, cause if, in, as the Asian American storyteller, right? Because if yeah. it ends with me, then we failed. We have yeah. absolutely failed. If, if, if we peak with me, um, I, I understand objectively. And again, I, I don't want to come off egotistical, but I understand um, the role that I've played in inspiring other people to start their own shows, their own channels, uh -huh. to even stay loud uh -huh. within their own current platforms. And and so I, I want our legacy collectively be to be the spark that caused even a bigger flame. And, yes. and, and that's, you know, I, I you know, it, it's weird. Um, but, you know, I get the same notes too. Like, you know, how, how our podcasts and other things have made people cry and when I speak at companies, I get notes from people saying, I've never seen an Asian American speaker at my company, but I've worked here for 15 years and like I didn't even know what I was missing. Um, and so all of these things matter. Um, and uh, you being visible and, and you being uh, on a visible platform certainly helps. But um, my, my last thought to all of you listening, um, 
because I certainly used to feel this way when I was just getting started and not where I am, where I'm blessed to be today. Um, you don't need to be the head of Meta Prosper. You don't need to have the platform that I have uh, to make the same kind of impact that we're talking about that will make you cry at night because that's literally the reason why you keep doing what you're doing. And so even if you have 10 followers, even if you have an audience of five, uh, the impact that our stories can tell through context and through nuance and through relatability, all you just need is one person. And so yep. um, I, I want to encourage people to uh, to get there. Um, you know, I, I am so blessed with friends like Eric and others and the platform that we've built um, over the last three years to share these stories to all of you. But really, um, I was at a place where I was like excited to get 10 listens a day. Um, I would obsessively like refresh my web, you know, web browser be like, oh my God, you know, the day I got the first hundred listen day, I was like, oh my God, this is the greatest day. Like this works. Um, but that's how we start, right? Yep. Um, you know, yep. every, every big influencer you see started with one follower. Um, and they will not be able to tell you that the thing that got them uh, more uh, notoriety or more followers that they could have pinpointed, they could have guessed or orchestrated what that piece of content was going to be. And so the only way to do it is to continue to do it when you know nobody's listening or you think nobody's listening um, and, and lives will continue to change. Um, Eric, I, I love talking to you, man. Um, always. You know, always. Uh, and, and for folks uh, who are listening, I the day I went to the White House, the day before was my birthday. I landed at the airport at 1130. I got to the bar with all of our friends at 1201 exactly a minute after my birthday. <laughs> and uh, Eric Tota, along with our other friend Eric too, and Brian Pang and Justin Zhu, all these friends said, you're not selling, we're, this is not the way we're going to end our birthday by going to the hotel now. So uh, <laughs> they made sure that I had a proper birthday celebration. And so, um, you know, when, when you get to our age, I guess, in your late 30s, um, you don't know where your friends are going to come from. You don't know who's going to be with you uh, when you're trying to do good work. Um, and so I, I really appreciate our friendship, Eric. Uh, looking forward to hanging okay. out. Um Congrats to your uh, what you call a basketball team. Oh um, come on, man! <laughs> uh, Eric's a huge Warriors fan, and so ha happy for all my Bay Area friends. Thank you, um, thank you, thank you. Thank I, you. I don't know when the Clippers' time is going to come, but um, it'll happen. But yeah, you know, thank you for what you do, and thank you for most importantly leveraging your privilege to have even more outsized impact in the work that we do collectively. Um, love what you guys are doing. Uh, looking forward to staying connected. Um, big yes, shout sir. out to uh, Jane Chung, who is not here, but was the only other human being to listen to our middle episode <laughs> that will never air. Uh, to all of our friends at Launch Status TAF at the Smithsonian for the wonderful work that you do. Uh, again, big shout out to Justin and the crew over at Sand with Asian Americans for the amazing work that they're doing to amplify our voices. And, uh, you know, rest as you go. It's summertime, but continue to stay loud, man. I appreciate you. Absolutely. Count on me. It's one of the best, greatest honors of my life to represent us. So I'm, I'm proud. Stay proud. Stay proud, everybody. Big thanks to Eric for uh, sharing his story with us and sharing his updates on the wonderful things that he has been involved in. Uh, you can learn all about him. Uh, we'll put all the show in the links in the show notes where you can find about him, uh, Launch, TAF, SWA, uh, the museum. Um, all these acronyms are uh, familiar to us, and if you it is not familiar to you, I apologize. And uh, we'll put the links in the show notes. Um, Launch is leading Asian Americans to unite for change. TAF is the Asian American Foundation. SWA is stand with Asian Americans, and the museum is the uh, the arm of the Smithsonian Museum. Um, 
And so big thanks to Eric for uh, jumping on. Uh, again, big thanks to our friends at SWA for making this possible and uh, wishing you health and continued safety as we uh, navigate continued challenging times um, in, in so many different ways. As we celebrate our country this weekend, I uh, wish you safety and health. Um, COVID's still around. And um, uh, yeah, and, and so uh, if you want to reach out to us, you can uh, do that on Instagram at the Americans. You can email me hello at the Americans.com. And um, or you can just email me directly at jerry at jerrywan.com. And jerrywan.com is where you can also learn about the work that I do outside of this podcast, which includes public speaking at conferences and companies at schools and um, just about anywhere that will uh, that wants to listen to a, a unique take on the Asian American experience from a professional lens. And so thanks again for tuning in so much. Uh, this is episode 156 of the, uh, the Asian Americans podcast. I am your host, Jerry Wan, wishing you and all the ones you care about continued health, safety, and happiness. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you next time.